On Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. To join the conversation, call 508-871-7000. Now, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome to iCommunicate. And for our listeners out there today, we have two treats today. We have a topic that is a really cool topic. And we have one of our favorite guests of the show making another return, Joe Lyman. And Joe, first of all, welcome to the show. Thank you, sir. And I just want to say, every time Joe and I see each other, we will tell each other how much we add to each other's lives, knowledge, experience, whatever it may be. And what I think is really cool about that is, you know, I was taught from a young age to be around people that are smarter than you, right? Because you can only learn and you want to be challenged. And, you know, now at this point in my life, I'm 49 years old, and I think a lot of being around people who are like-minded, who are uh, positive, supportive, kind, generous, giving people. And uh, and Joe is just one of these people who he fits a lot of those buckets. So, Joe, I, I feel really grateful that you're here and, and to have you at Mindset Go and to have you as a friend. Well, thank you. And I'm going to agree with D, all of the above, and say I, I return the same sentiment. But it's interesting the way you, you said it. You said, you know, you want to be around like-minded people. But – I think it's it's crucial, especially in like so like there's a there's a wonderful book called Bowling by Yourself, Bowling by Ourselves, that's all about how we've ditched everybody that disagrees with us. And I think it's crucial that like minded doesn't mean the same. Yeah, well said. I mean, you're a sports fanatic. I'm like the anti sports fanatic. <laughs> right. I'm just I'm I'm the opposite of that. Yeah. But but yet. We can still talk about sports, or we can talk about theater, you know, which is an interest of mine, or yep. we can talk about yes. stuff, right? So, so even though we don't come at things from the same perspective, we still recognize the value of the elements of the other person's passion or the other person's interest. And so we can – but you can do that with everybody. Yeah, you're, you're so right, Joe. And I also think just to add one piece to what you said, because I agree, is – I also think it's important. I, I don't mind being around people who are not of the like mind. I think it's invo- it's about having respectful banter and the kinds of conversations where you have the opportunity to embrace different perspectives. So that's that's a great point you're raising. Yeah, and, and that's the thing, right? So, I mean, I might get into a political discussion with somebody whose politics are different from mine. But the key isn't do we disagree or do we agree? The key is after each stating reasonably and with good style our perspective – is can we agree to disagree, or even better, can we just go have a beer? Indeed. So, okay, so as I've said to the listeners before, you know, when I pick topics week to week, the show is called I Communicate. So we're trying to help people become more confident and effective communicators. That could mean more effective leaders. That could mean more effective and confident salespeople. It could mean more confident and effective presenters and public speakers. It goes on and on. However, I usually at some point in the week from an interaction with a client or just reflecting or just daydreaming, come up with the topic for the week. And this week, the topic is guilt as a motivator. Okay. And, and so I want to give, I want to give our listeners some very brief context and perspective to what I'm talking about and why why this topic is also uh, near and dear to me. 
So I am a father of three. I have a 25-year-old son, a 24-year-old daughter, and a 14-year-old son. And when they were, when I was in my mid-20s, um, I remember my father, my mother lives in Florida and my father lives in Texas. And I always liked when they came to visit and grandparents were in town. My kids loved to see my parents and so on and so forth. But my father really didn't take an active role in being a grandparent. And that used to frustrate me. So I used to share that with my older brother. And I would, you know, I would ask my father, you know, when are you coming to visit? You know, you haven't been here in a while. And my brother would say to me, Mark, I don't know why you're doing that. Because if he does come to visit, the only reason he's going to come to visit is because you're guilting him into it. And you're badgering him to get what you want. And it won't feel authentic that way, will it? If that's the only reason, if you knew the only reason he was coming to visit. And my answer at the time, by the way, was I don't really care because my kids benefit from having a relationship with their grandparents. So my attitude was even if it isn't authentic, my kids won't know the difference, so it's okay. And so that was the end of the conversation. So meanwhile... 20-plus years later, this conversation comes up again in a professional venue, and the professional venue was I was dealing with an executive, um, not the CEO of the organization. We were talking about managing up, and in this case, to the CEO of the organization. And I said, you know, have you shared? He says, I don't feel recognized. I don't feel appreciated. And I said, have you shared that with the CEO when you have your discussions with him? Have you shared that? He said, why would I do that? He said, if I, if I told the CEO what I wanted, it's not unique or genuine if he gives me that feedback. Because if it wasn't innate to the CEO to be doing those things in the first place. Now, listen, listen before, before I, I turn this over to Joe, and I want our listeners to think about what I'm saying. If it isn't innate to be doing it in the first place, Talk about putting a lot of pressure on human beings. I mean, certain things are just not innate and natural to people. So leaders are taught to know how to motivate, connect, and support with others. But this guy is saying, if this isn't innate for him to give me the recognition, appreciation, and feedback I want, I don't want it. I'm not going to ask. Doesn't feel natural. So all those memories came rushing back from 20-plus years ago with my brother and my father. So, Joe, I mean, you're talking about two completely disparate viewpoints here. One is someone who says, I'm not going to ask because they're only doing it because I'm asking. What are your thoughts on that kind of – it's a very rigid mindset. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Well, first of all, I think there's an aspect of communication that, that underlies some of what you're talking about here. And it's, an, it's a knowledge thing, an awareness thing. How will you know unless I tell you? Right? How will you know if I don't tell you what's important to me? Is it natural? Perhaps not, and perhaps not at first is, I think, a key to it. You know, there's an expression that I, I've always found distasteful for reasons that are unknown even to me, and that's fake it till you make it. But I believe that there is an element in that statement that, that's valid and valuable. And, you know, in, in the Buddhist tradition, there is, a, there is an understanding of how you don't always know what to do. You don't always know exactly how to act. But they say that you put on the mask of the Buddha. 
right? If I were the Buddha, what would he do in this situation kind of thing, right? And then one day you discover that the mask doesn't come off. So, and, and I think that in, in terms of feedback, there's an element of this here, right? You may need to ask for specific avenues of feedback until the individual internalizes, in a sense, you're creating the innate desire to well, offer well, feedback. Well, wait a second, Joe. So how will I know? Your first sentence was, how will I know unless I tell you? When I, when I do an autos autopsy on his statement, the autopsy is, if it is in second nature for this person to do the right thing anyway, this is, this is my interpretation of his phrase, yep. then I don't want it. And so why should I have to tell a person what I need and want? They should just know. They should just be doing it anyway. I have frequently thought that about both my employees and my children. Mm -hmm. In neither case have I been successful. <laughs> so, but, but therein lies the tale, right? It's, it's, it's what is innate is that people, some people need to learn different things. What is innate is that it may be that this person doesn't have that awareness yet, that their leader, that their director, that their CEO isn't aware of the importance of this to them because maybe it's different from what's important to the CEO himself or herself. So by communicating the needs of the individual to the, the senior person, you're simply letting them know what's important to you. So for instance, you might say, hey, it's really important to me that, that, that my loyalty is recognized, or it's really important to me that my uh, that my commitment to this company in some fashion, I've been here for 30 years, or it's really important to me that somebody notice how, how passionate I am about, about working, about doing my best for this company. These are the things that matter to me. Is it unnatural that not everybody perceives those in the same manner? I don't think so. I think that we're simply giving people an awareness of what's important to us. I mean, imagine trying to motivate people with what motivates you. That's swell, but what if it's different for your employees? Well, and, and Joe, you know, I think about this as I continue to unpack this. I, I think about if this is how expectations come into play, okay? I've talked about this on the show before. Um, I don't know how to change a tire. When people find out, some people, when they found out, find out I don't know how to change a tire, they'll say, you don't know how to change a tire with that tone, with this assumptive, judgmental tone. So they're telling me in that moment, you should know that, I know that. So when someone says, if it's not natural and innate, if it's not natural and innate to give that feedback, that's an assumption that they should know that because you know that as the managing up. Sorry, I'm gonna I'm getting a signal. We need to go on the break. I'm gonna build on the point I was just making when we come back from our first break. That's great because I mean you don't know how to change a tire. Right, right. <laughs> so for Joe Lyman, I'm Mark Altman. We'll be right back. Now, IQ 
Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. All right, welcome back to the show. We're talking about guilt as a motivator, and I, I want to take a step back. I'll, I'll build on the concept I was talking on right before the break, but we're talking about leadership for a moment. And <clears throat> I have a form I created for companies, and it identifies 30 leadership core competencies. And I'm quite confident there's a heck of a lot more than 30, but let's call it 30 for the day. You know, a lot of people struggle with imposter syndrome because they'll they'll – identify certain aspects of leadership that they're not good at and they won't think they're a good leader because those specific core competencies they haven't developed yet, right? Because in their mind, they should already be able to do that. And what I was mentioning before the break is that the expectation is that I don't want to have to tell you how I want to be motivated, supported, recognized, and appreciated because I've made the core value determination that that, if you got to be a leader, you should already know that. And not to mention, you may have seen uh, assessments I've taken or evaluations I filled out, so you should have at least gleaned it from that. And where I struggle with that, uh, Joe, is I struggle with it for a lot of reasons, but why are we punishing people? Why would the CEO in this case be punished if the CEO in question didn't happen to do this on a regular basis, if they weren't mindful enough, because they may even understand it's important. They just may not even be mindful enough to build in the time to do it, right? Why, why, are, we, why are we punishing people for not having these innate skills? Well, and I think the answer to your question is a very brief one. In fact, it's a three-letter answer, ego. And in, in a sense, there's a certain petulance involved in it, my uh, my ego, right? I've nurtured my ego and I've built my ego. And one of the things I've done to do that is learn these, these leadership competencies. So when you don't recognize what I've done, my ego sits in a corner rather sulkily and says, well, if you're not going to notice how incredibly loyal I am, if you're not going to notice how incredibly passionate I am about my job, I'm just going to go over here and and well, I'm just going to sulk. That's all. And, and, and I mean it when I say petulance, because there's a certain aspect to that. And it's like, and, and exactly as you say, say uh, I'm demonstrating them. Why aren't you seeing them? But first of all, people don't look for the same things. That's right. And second of all, people don't understand the same things, right? So you, you and I may look at, at the exact same situation differently, because in the end, there's a reality, right, that we don't, that we don't acknowledge all the time, but is always underlying, well, everything, which is that we do not see things as they are. We do not see things clearly because we do not see them as they are. We see things as we are. And it's that perspective, that shifting perspective, even between you and I, we agree on many things, but we don't see things the same. And that, that difference explains why somebody who is a good CEO still may not be aware of what's vital, valuable, and genuinely matters to every single person that works for them. And if the people that do the work are unwilling, as was this case, it sounds like, to share that information because for some reason it should have been known, right? You know, it should have been known that someday astronauts were going to have to get out of the capsule without help. But until there was a fire, 
no one remembered that. And so they were bolt, the doors were bolted from the outside. Well, Joe, let me ask you this. I, I, I hear you, and I'm thinking about how difficult it is for people to be assertive and advocate for themselves as it is. Does your opinion change on this assumption of innate quality and guilt as a motivator if a CEO allegedly cares enough to pose the question as opposed to they don't ever ask and you just have to bring it to the table. So in terms of the onus of responsibility and the willingness to share, does it matter if the CEO initiates it or not as far as the position of the person who doesn't feel like they should have to give the feedback? In, in a sense, I would say no. I, because if if I work for a CEO who is, I'm going to put air quotes around this word, enlightened enough to check in with me and see what matters to me, well, then that's delightful. But if I work for a CEO that doesn't have that awareness, isn't one of my jobs as an executive reporting to the CEO to help develop them? I mean, we always think of development as a, as a kind of a one-way street, but it's not. It's a two-way street, right? I owe something to my, I, I owe something of my allegiance to the company, which is not just to be the best person I can for myself and my people, but also for my, my boss. Well, and Joe, let's build on what you just said. Now, let's take, I love the word you used, enlightened. So let's go with scenario two. They're either not enlightened or they just haven't made the time. They are enlightened and they haven't made the time to do it. Either scenario, we're now making a level two assumption. So now let's say I come up to you. I do the hard thing. I come up to you and I say, hey, Joe, can we talk? You're the CEO. I report to you. Hey, Joe. And by the way, everybody, for our listeners, I'm not proposing you walk up to your CEO out of the blue and go, you know, this is how I'd like to be recognized and appreciated. It would have to be in the context of an existing conversation. But my point is, if you bring it to the table, okay, and now you share how you want to be recognized and appreciated, supported. Here's where assumption number two comes in. Now you're proposing that because you shared it, the only reason they're doing it is because you asked them to do it. So when they give you a compliment for your hard work, they don't really mean it. They don't really think you're working hard. They're just doing it to pacify you. And so there's the second flaw in this whole thing, Joe. It's like, now it's defaulting to people being phony or disingenuous. And I got to be honest with you, and I'd love your perspective because I know you work with a lot of other executives as well. I don't find most people to be phony and disingenuous, especially at the executive level. I find a lot of people to not make the time for people. But Absolutely. as far as if they think to give the recognition appreciation, it's phony. That's that's not my experience in most cases. Is that yours? Oh, absolutely. And again, this goes back to ego, right? So I asked for something. And then when you gave it to me, I'm like, well, the only reason you gave it to me is because I asked for it. You, you have to exclude the rest of the world and focus, you know, just on yourself in an almost obtuse manner in order to think that, you know, the entire world revolves exclusively around you. <laughs> so somebody once wisely commented that on Earth, there are approximately 7 billion centers of the universe. And some days I, I think there's, there's, that's pretty true. But it's not, right? And the reality is, uh, think about it from a different perspective. Let's, let's take it out of this context. There's an initiative that you're proposing. You've been doing your job great as an executive in charge of this aspect. And one of the things you've noticed is that there is a shift 
in the in the current social cultural conditions and you see a new opening that's coming up right for you know uh, maybe it's a new product uh, initiative maybe it's a new avenue a new venue that you can that the company can move into right and so you propose this idea to the to the management team and the management team says yeah this is a really good idea let's chat with the ceo and you do a presentation to the ceo and the ceo says that's an excellent idea. Let's look into this. Let's put some let's put some study time into this. Let's put some initiative and some people on this. Did they only do that because you told them to or did they do it because you presented them with a good idea that they had previously been unaware of? Right? Because that's your job as an executive is to be aware of things and recommend them to the to the CEO. So the CEO is merely doing what good bosses should do and understanding and broadening their perspective. What's the difference between, to analogize, what's the difference between that situation when you bring something new, some new awareness to the CEO in terms of product or, or, or possibilities and just letting them know what's important to you. You're simply making them aware of something that they didn't know before. Well, Joe, that, that point couldn't be more perfect because you're, you're segueing to the, the, the third level I was just going to bring up, which is, so think about this, listeners. So you've now communicated with your CEO different ways you'd like to be recognized, recognized or appreciated. That CEO, the next week, gives you the compliment in the exact area. Now, predicated on the fact that you could actually discern in that moment, if you're really skeptical, and as Joe said, your ego is getting the best of you, assuming you could discern between it was an authentic compliment or it was a pacification compliment, which I very much question most people would be able to do that. Assuming you would do that, worst case scenario is they give you no feedback and recognition before, but now they're giving you recognition, appreciation that could be borderline phony. So here's the deal. When we get back from the break, I'm going to give you guys all an analogy about that exact topic to talk about why this line of thought is really not a rational line of thought. So we're about to go into break. For Joe Lyman, I'm Mark Altman. We'll be right back. Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to I Communicate. I'm here with Joe Lyman. I'm Mark Altman of Mindset Go. And, you know, just to bring everybody back, right before the break, I was talking about the ability to discern. So if your deepest, darkest fear is that you're going to get phony feedback, right, where you were at prior is when you were keeping it, your frustration to yourself that you didn't get the recognition and appreciation. Now your worst case fear happens and you get it and you're allegedly able to discern that it was phony. Okay. Here's what I thought about, Joe. This is crazy, right? If, if most people in the world thought like that, we'd be out of work because here's why. Because I have an experience Frequently, where I will work with a leader and their team, respectively, but separately. And I will have a team member say to me two weeks, a month, a few months into the engagement, you've been working with Jim, haven't you? I said, what do you mean by that? And they say, well, they're acting differently than they did before. They're not leading the same way. They're communicating differently. I said, oh, 
I said, but are you saying that in a disappointed way or are you saying that in a happy way? And they're like, no, we're thrilled. It's better. So my point is, if someone, if an executive or a leader works with a coach that provides insight and expertise on areas that they're not developed in those core competencies, but if they come from the coach and then the team recognizes them, it's still really good, right? Because the coach taught the leader. But if you teach the leader that you need to be appreciated and recognized, that doesn't count. But if the coach does, it counts. I, I think it's clearly bad in both cases and creates an, a no. Of course, it's right? exactly the same. The, you, the, you, and it would have to be bad in both cases. And it's clearly not bad in the case of a coach. Right. We hope that an executive who who comes to coaching, we hope and our goal as coaches is to help make them better, is to share with them things they may be unaware of. Right. So so if we accept as perfectly reasonable reality that coaching somebody into a higher level of performance and awareness is a viable initiative for everybody in the company to undertake, then how could it possibly be any different if you Coach your boss. Yeah, and, and Joe, one one other thing I want to add and ask you. Have you ever, I mean, seriously, have you ever encountered a situation where you have heard of a leader of an organization at any level, could be director, C-suite, whatever, um, being vulnerable and courageous enough to get a coach and someone else in the organization, and I mean even ever, that's how extreme I want to make this, someone else saying, what a loser. I can't believe they need a coach. I can't believe they want a coach. Isn't your experience that most people admire and respect that when other people are asking for help and wanting to do better and learn? I mean, is that your experience? It is, with a caveat. Okay. There is a belief that's completely mistaken and misguided in our culture in many areas that people who seek help, there's a problem with them. But I would suggest that it is actually just the opposite. It's the leader who knows they need help and doesn't seek it that is the problem. And the, the corollary to that is if there's somebody who doesn't know they need help but who desperately does. You know, when I, I, I lived in Germany for a couple of years, and when I said I was going over there, people knew, who knew I taught customer service were like, oh, you could, you could make a fortune teaching customer service in, in Germany. And I said, no, you can't. I said, because nobody knows they need to learn it over there. Mm. Unless they've lived in America and experienced a different level of customer awareness, they don't know what they don't know. And so the, anybody who says, oh, I have all the answers is clearly mistaken. So the people who say, I don't have all the answers, and perhaps I can call on experience from somebody else and say, hey, can you help me through this difficult time? It's like going for counseling, right? It's, but there is still a shadow on it for some people. But here's my experience. The people who think there's a shadow involved with asking for help or getting coaching or getting therapy or getting any assistance like this probably need some Therapy or some coaching. Well, and and I like what you just said, Joe, because frankly, there's four ways, and I'm I'm simplifying this for the purpose of the show today, but there's there's multiple ways you're going to get awareness. You used the word awareness earlier in the show. It could be from a coach. It could be from your boss yourself. It could be from a counselor. And it also could be from a family, friend, or peer, right? So this is where the rubber hits the road to me. If 
you get that feedback from any of those buckets of people, then it's okay. But if you're the one giving the feedback, right, then you have a fear. Certain people have a fear of it not being authentic if a person hears and validates your feedback. And there's a, such a double standard to me, Joe, where if a coach, counselor, mentor, boss, family, friend, peer does it, but if you're the one that does it, you don't want to do it because you may, you may fear the inauthenticity of the situation. Yeah, which when you think of it through a rational lens makes no sense whatsoever. No. And, and, it's, and again, it goes to ego. It, and, and when ego is the driver, our destination becomes uncertain because now we're not really in charge anymore. We've put ego in charge of what's happening to us. And who knows where that's going to end up, but the answer is you don't. And we think of ourselves as ourselves. But, you know, when, when we're only thinking of ourselves, we notice problems. When we start to think about others, we notice opportunities. And there's a huge difference between those things. And, you know, you said guilt is a motivator. Are there times when my children did something because they felt guilty? There are. I'm okay with that. You know, Aristotle said without shame, uh, civilization would be impossible. But uh, so, but I don't, I don't want to say that guilt should be a motivator. I'm, I'm not okay with a blanket statement like that. But I'm saying if you know something is, is, is expected of you and you don't do it and you feel guilty about that, try to understand what the what's going on there, right? You knew you were supposed to be responsible for something and you didn't do it. If you don't know it and your boss doesn't know that they're responsible to give you this feedback, they're never going to feel guilty about it. They're never going to feel anything about it. They don't know because you haven't told them. So somehow we expect people to feel guilty about things, but when we're not clear about what matters to us, how will they even know that it's important? Well, Joe, and I, and I feel like when you're talking about discerning between authentic feedback, it actually is a broader topic because no matter who is giving you the feedback, you could question their authenticity. So, but, but there's an assumption that, that what, what, what Joe and I are trying to eradicate on this show is that if someone doesn't innately do something, it doesn't mean they don't care. It doesn't mean they're weak or bad. It means they either just don't have the skill set or they, don't have, they haven't made the time to execute what you're asking. And what I want to ask you, Joe, as we talk about feedback is, how do you tell when feedback is authentic? Like, what's your formula? Because when I give you a compliment at the beginning of the show, you don't, you don't know if that was authentic or not. Yeah, I don't. I'm going to actually ask you to write, put that in writing so I can pass it around <laughs> and, you know, we'll, I'll get some friends to evaluate it, see if it was, was really genuinely meaningful. But, but it goes to, to, to in, from my perspective, it goes to the very essence of what is feedback, right? And so the, uh, a philosophy professor of mine once said that you have to agree on what the words mean in order to have a conversation about it. So what is feedback? So from my perspective, feedback is any information that is offered for the purpose of improving something, right? We have a, we have a perception about, let's say, criticism, and we think cr- the very essence of the word criticism is now perceived as utterly negative. This is nonsense. In a, in a traditional setting, critical observations have only one function, to make something better. Right? Why do we think critically to improve a process? Why do we view something critically? Why do critics attend early performances of a Broadway show? 
somebody who knows something about something offers their opinion with the purpose of improving it. So that to me is genuine feedback. Anything that doesn't meet that precondition isn't feedback. It's just somebody offering whatever they think their opinion might be. So if I say something to make you feel bad, that's not feedback. If I say something to make you feel good, that's not feedback. If I offer you specific information to help improve a situation, a process, or merely to make observations about how well or how poorly something was done, and my intent is to improve it, that's feedback, and that's real. So if I say to my girlfriend, uh, you look really beautiful this evening, that's not feedback. Uh, we, th- you've just wandered into a complete... <laughs> <laughs> I did that. You know I did that on purpose. <laughs> you know I did that on purpose. Yes, and there is no good answer to the question, does this make me look fill in the blank? But to your point, positive and negative without the intention to improve is not feedback? Yeah, well, like somebody comes up to you, your boss comes up to you and says, good job yesterday. What does that mean? What was good about it? If I come up to you and I say, and I say, hey, I, I watched your interaction with this client, with this situation, and I saw that you did this and you responded very clearly to what they were, what they were intimating and what was, was concerned to them, you did a great job of interpreting what was important to them and clearly were able to provide it with them. Keep doing that. That's feed, That's positive feedback. And if I come up to you and I say, you know, yesterday you just didn't do a very good job. What does that mean? It's it's mean. It's it's meaningless because you don't now with that information you still do not know how to either avoid what you did that was problematic or to get better at it in a way that benefits everybody. Okay. All right, we're going to come back for our final segment. We're going to talk a little bit more about how to know feedback's authentic and how to know if someone's open to feedback. For Joe Lyman, I'm Mark Altman. This is I Communicate. We'll be right back. Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to I Communicate. I'm here with Joe Lyman. I'm Mark Altman, and we're talking about, we started out with guilt as a worthwhile motivator. And what we're really talking about, though, is the willingness to give feedback and the expectations when giving feedback. And, Joe, I want to cover three, three concepts in this last segment. The first one is I want to just get closure on my question of how do you know when you're getting authentic feedback? Like word choice, tone, body language, like what are you looking for to say, you know what, I, I think this is authentic? Or is it not that simple? I, I don't think it's that simple. I think word choice, tone of voice, intonation, all of these things matter, but it has to go to motivation. Right? Am I providing you this feedback because I want you to make you feel bad? Not feedback. It's just me wanting you to feel bad. Am I providing you this information because I want to help you get better? Genuine feedback. But this goes directly to the heart of what we're talking about here. If I just scream it at you, what are the odds it will help you get better? If I just beat you about the head and shoulders with it, right, in a rolled up piece of paper that I leave on your desk, what are the odds you want to get better? 
it it's not it, it it becomes a question of literally what is feedback it will make things better we said right that was my 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 supposition if it will make things better but if you do it in such poor style that the recipient can't hear it or won't want to hear it then it's not really genuine feedback and you're not really paying attention to what will make the situation better and joe when I, when i think of um people being open to feedback you know i i like I like the word permission. I like just, you know, if I was going to give you feedback at a simple level, you know, I would say, hey, Joe, I, I had made some observations. I was wondering if you'd be open to some feedback. And so that's one way to do it. But you know what I want? I just want to spend a minute talking about, Joe, the imaginary fear of being open to feedback. My experience is that I feel like a lot of people, when they make the determination when a human being is open or not open to feedback, they hone in on one negative experience they've had with that person on a specific topic or subject matter, and they'll say, nope, I can't talk to that person, Joe. They're not open to feedback. Confirmation bias. Right, the confirmation bias. So my question to you, Joe, is, you know, what is your experience around, is it just asking people for permission to give feedback? Is there a template to know, yeah, this person checks the box, they're open, this person doesn't? What's your take on that? Oh, I think the word permission is perfect, right? Because with it, so like somebody's continuously late. The last thing you want to do is have a discussion about being on time when they've just walked through the door 10 minutes late. You're upset about it. They know they're late. Nobody who's ever been late really didn't know they were late. And if they said, oh, am I late? They were lying. Right. So that's the wrong time. So there's two aspects to this. The first is to find to get permission to have the conversation. But there's a again, there's a precursor to this. And it's the idea of letting people know long before you have this conversation that there may be times when you'll have this conversation and saying, hey, one of the things that's important to us here is the ability to get better and learn as we grow and develop and that we do indeed grow and develop. And say, so to that end, sometimes let's have a conversation about how things are going. I'll ask you uh, how you think things are going. I'll offer how I think things are going. And we'll see how we can use those two perspectives to improve the situation. But you prepare the groundwork, so to speak, for genuine feedback by letting people know that that's the purpose of it. Right? It's like the feedback sandwich that people talk about, and possibly the dumbest thing anybody's ever invented. Right, Because as, as you're giving somebody this positive thing, what's happening in their head, of course, is they're sitting there going, oh, great, this guy is telling me something nice. So that means what's coming next is I screwed up somewhere. And I'm, it's, it's uh. Unless, so, you know, the, the feedback sandwich is so polarizing because some people swear by it, some exactly. people hate it. Yep. So, you know, I, I, I made the point to someone about the feedback sandwich the other day. I don't disagree with what you said. However, I said when they were asking me about using the feedback sandwich, I said, here's the pros and here's the cons. The cons assume people are savvy enough to pick up on that that's going to happen. And here's my point, because it, we're right back to authentic again. Because if I start with something truly authentic and a positive and they can wrap their arms on it, yeah, I could see why they'd appreciate that. They might not think it's a feedback sandwich. And by the way, I'm not advocating for the feedback sandwich. That's not my point. I, no, no, I, I hear but, what you're but saying. But you see what I mean? Yeah. Like, so, and, and I, I, I'm surprised, Joe, because sometimes when I'll have a conversation with someone about the feedback, I don't think a lot of people know about it. I mean, 
I, a lot of leaders I talk to, I'll say, have you ever heard of that? And they'll be like, no. And I'm surprised. So, but anyway, I look, I love what you said. And the thing that I'm really taking away, and I would want our listeners to take away, is the motivation around giving feedback. If your motivation is to make someone feel bad because you think that's going to push them to work harder or be better, not only is it usually not effective, it's not feedback. But if your intention is truly to help make someone better, and that's feedback. And I love, I think that's a huge takeaway, Joe. Well, and I think that's the critical thing, right? And, and the idea of how we provide feedback, right? I, I say that most people think that feedback is, it can be offered using what I call the zipper approach. So they unzip the top of the individual's head, they peel it back, and they pour in the information that I want you to have. And then I re-zip it up and you should be good to go. This, of course, is ridiculous, right? Genuine education, going back to the Latin roots of the words educate, mean a leading out of what is already there. So if we think we can belittle people into being better, if we think we can badger people into being better, you may get some compliance on a limited short-term basis, but I promise you cooperation will elude your grasp. Well, Joe, you, you know what you just said is huge. And again, it's something we can both relate to because in the training world, most companies are all over the zipper approach. And we're not talking about feedback anymore now. We're talking about, hey, sit, sit my team down for four hours and pour in information in their head and make it all wet work and better and and, and learn them something. And learn them something. Like, so that's a, you could use the zipper approach in multiple ways. That's perfect. So, Joel, final, final topic I want to cover before we wrap up today is, you know, when you're a leader and someone, you've created a culture where someone feels safe enough and has that psychological safety to offer up, and how about this, offer up unsolicited feedback, right, which is the highest you can get. Leaders are worried about the difference of when someone asks you for something. I always teach leaders, you're not obligated to do it. You're obligated to address it. But Joe, it seems so simple when I say it in that sentence, but why are so many leaders afraid to ask difficult questions? They're, they're so worried that the answers they're going to get, I, I guess they're not feeling like they're going to be equipped to say no or turn them down or reject them or make them feel bad? Is it about that? I, I think that's part of it. And I, I think you're spot on when, at, at the beginning of that sentence, at the beginning of your description, right? It's about this openness, right? Are we open to feedback, right? And it's, it's not good. It's not bad. It's just energy, right? And if we take it in the spirit in which it is intended, then we can develop and grow from it. But if we're, af- if, if we're either afraid to receive it or we're afraid to offer it, first of all, it's usually ego getting in the way. Second of all, without it, how will anything change? How will we as individuals grow and develop and get better at our work or uh, as individuals if we're not open to feedback? You know, somebody once said that the strongest defenders of a faith are its harshest critics. And we've kind of lost sight of that in the workplace. We've lost sight of the fact that if you want to be great at what you do, you're going to have to be open to changing things. You're going to have to be open to learning new things. I mean, how do athletes get to be great? Through, through competition with themselves and with other equally great people. 
And we have to think of ourselves not as competing with our colleagues and our peers and our bosses, but with our competition and take advantage when they have something to offer us. And we need to be open to hearing it and they need to be open to saying it. So, you know, I just want to wrap up, Joe, thanks so much for joining us again. Always add so much value. Just want to wrap up. Feedback is so complex, giving it, receiving it, initiating it. Um, and you could, Joe and I have talked about this. We could go, we could do weeks of training just on the topic of feedback. It's that broad and that complex. But at the end of the day, we're asking you just to remember what it is. And as I said before, it's the delivery of it. It's your motivation behind it. And it's your authenticity around it. You know, th those are the three takeaways. And so with that said, uh, if you want more information about some coaching or training at Mindset Go, the number is 978-793-1159. You can also reach out at info at mindsetgo.com. For Joe Lyman, I'm Mark Altman. This has been I Communicate. We'll see you next time. listening to I Communicate with your host, Mark Altman. Join us again each week at this time on Full Service Radio, WCRN.